Welcome back into Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9 FM and the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson and Ryan LaVoy now being joined by our good pal Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South back with us. What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you guys. You know, we uh, we shared a meal the other day. Yeah. I, I can't remember. Was that Monday? Monday. Tuesday? The days are all running together. <laughs> Dude, they just all blend together here. It's unbelievable. I try and sort out, like, what happens throughout the course of the week, and I'll try and break it down by day. And by the time Thursday rolls around, I'm like, wait, Monday? That, that feels like two weeks ago, not like three days ago. This has also been a nightmare for us in that, we're so accustomed to operating and working and scheduling everything in the central time zone yep. and communicating back to the home stations. And here we are walking around day to day in the eastern time zone. And I think it's similar for a lot of people when it would be in Hoover or Nashville next year, wherever it may be, like having to, uh, it's weird how time zones work. Welcome man. to the dark <laughs> side. Look, I, I have lived in the eastern time zone for seven years. Yeah, seven years. I went to college in the eastern time zone. My mom does not acknowledge time zones whatsoever. She lives in central time zone. Never, I don't know if she has ever said to me once, um, hey, let's talk at blah, 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 your time. It's never, it's never Eastern time zone. Central time zone has an arrogance about it. My buddies are all about it. I have buddies from back home who will just, the, the, the second I tell them that Eastern time zone is the best, which I don't really say that. I just try and take pride in, in where I live. They'll, they'll just you know talk to me about what time football starts. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to watch an 11 a.m. game. The fact that I get until noon to be able to, to watch uh, you know football on, on, a, on a fall Saturday, I, that's where I'm comfortable with. So Central Time Zone and me, they don't really gel anymore. And as a North Carolina native myself, I hold true to the Eastern Time Zone. But now being Auburn and being surrounded by Alabama natives their whole life, I'm starting to get convinced more so on the later – or earlier, like we get done with work at six, hear all these games yep. that are getting started. We go off the air. Uh, but my whole life I've been defending the Eastern time zone. I don't so. know. It, it kind of is what it is. I Look, I, I, I think Eastern time zone, this is exactly what everybody's listening to. They want to hear my for, takes yeah. on Eastern time zone. <laughs> I, I think that my my intake of, of sports at the professional level has decreased in terms of like non-NFL stuff. Because I can't stay up late enough to watch like an NBA game right. or a Major League Baseball game. But other than that, you know what? Give me that. I, earliest bird gets the worm. That's what I always say. What are you walking away so far from SEC Media Days thinking about the most that you've learned this week? I think hearing Greg Sankey day one talk about the lack of panic that the SEC had, finding out that USC, UCLA are joining the Big Ten. As he was on his vacation, he was on vacation. Summer vacation ended very abruptly for him uh, at his lake house. But hearing the, the lack of urgency. And look, I think that a lot of coaches have talked about issues of NIL, about realignment, transfer report, all these different things. They don't really have a lot of control in all this. They're kind of helpless. That was one thing I talked to uh, Eli Drinkwitz about on Monday was that, I was like, do you, do you really feel like you, you're able to do much? Like, do you, do you feel helpless on this? He's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't do a whole lot other than kind of say your piece on the specific issues. Everybody seems to be on the same page in terms of wanting rules. That's that's how far out of whack this thing is. We have coaches talking about wanting rules in NIL just to understand what's legal, what's not, who can be called out for cheating, who can't be. But yeah, just talking about those big picture issues that was always going to be the most you know. Uh, the most prevalent topic, of course, in terms of current events. But it's good to just be able to talk about, like, actual football things and, you know, what we all come here for every single year. 
And, and the commissioner also was talking about the, you know, one divisional look and the or, or one big conference look and, and the scheduling. Uh, also, just the fact uh, that he um, wanted essentially an act of Congress for NIL. That yeah. is that big of an issue. Um, but, Connor, I want to kind of boil it down now to, as you said, the, the play on the field and, and these actual teams and, and this this league, which is still incredibly strong even before Oklahoma and Texas get added to it. And it feels to me as we look at the big picture, big picture, excuse me, that you've got Alabama and Georgia, but then in the West in particular, two through seven, I realize A&M is more talented, but some inconsistencies there over recent years. It feels two through seven could be a lot of different outcomes. And so when you look at the rest of the SEC West in particular, how do you kind of sort through a bunch of teams that all could end up around eight or nine wins or could all end up around six wins? It's brutal. The, the question I think I've been asked most this week is who's finishing second in the East, who's finishing second in the West? I have Arkansas finishing second in the West. So I'm not even of the belief that A&M is going to necessarily be that number two team. And I said that before the Anaya Smith news that we found out this morning via the Houston Chronicle that he was arrested for DWI um, and it's really frustrating for a team that lost a lot of weapons as well so I look at A&M a, a, a team that everybody has kind of penciled in as that next team they're going to win their first national championship since 1939 when's Jimbo Fisher going to take this team to that na- to that that national championship type level get to an SEC championship first and then maybe we can talk I think that the, the the power rankings in the division is all over the place. Like I think everybody's kind of defaulting to having Mississippi State six, Auburn seven. Actually, Mississippi State four, um, and I'm a lot higher on them. And I love what they return with Zach Arnett's defense and the three three five that they run. I have Auburn last, and I think it's because I just have this uncertainty about the quarterback situation. Quarterback play in the SEC right now, it might be as good as it's ever been. It's at least as good as it's been since 2013 coming into a season in terms of the depth. And you know when you don't feel like you you have a guy and how helpless that kind of feels right now. For the programs right now where you're kind of looking around, I mean, even Vandy brought a guy here, Mike Wright, and they named him the starter uh, here at SEC Media Days. But for these programs like Mizzou and Auburn where you're kind of scratching your head and you're like, I don't know what they're going to be able to get from the quarterback position. I don't have a lot of confidence in it. And knowing what they lost, especially on the defensive line, we have questions about who's going to be catching passes. We have questions about the offensive line. We just have so many questions. And in the SEC West, if you're asking a lot of questions, that's not great. And and among those questions, even more so or or just as much so, is Brian Harson and and the lack of patience that he's been given – a attempted coup, honestly, at Auburn earlier this year. And so what are your questions or concerns or things that you think Brian Harson is, is not giving enough credit for so far? It's tough because I was not a, a Harson fan with year one. I, I thought he came into this league a little bit too stubborn. I didn't necessarily think that he handled all the ebbs and flows of his first season in the SEC very well. Having said that, it's one year. We have so much historical data that shows us that year one performance does not impact a coach. It just doesn't. Not good, not bad. We might play the results and say we knew that this coach was going to be a success because they had a great year one. We might say that we knew that this coach was going to be a failure because they had a bad year one. History shows us it really doesn't matter that much. And that was the most frustrating thing, seeing this coup 
that Auburn clearly organized. But the question now is how short is the leash? If I had my job depend on TJ Finley, Zach Calzada, or Robbie Ashford, who's really intriguing but has yet to play a down of football at the FBS level, I wouldn't be sleeping well. I really wouldn't. The podcast stuff that he's coming out with, Brian Harson's coming out with, all well and good. Being more social, being more out there, being somebody that is embracing his role as the figurehead of a program, that's, that's all well and good. It is. When you go four and three, we ask questions. That's just the nature of the beast. And I think at a situation like the one he's in right now, where clearly there are people that don't want him to have that job, you're going to have to rise above expectations. You've got to beat one, two teams that you aren't expected to beat. And so that's not necessarily me saying I think he deserves to be fired if he doesn't win X number of games. That's me seeing the writing on the wall. Look, if we're not seeing the writing on the wall, we're blind, okay? This is a, a job that is unlike any in college football. And the way that this offseason has played out is just more proof of that. Talking with Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South here at SEC Media Days on Radio Row. Harson going into the second year, and you could call the seat hot, warm, whatever you want to throw out there. If there was another coach in the league that had a warm seat, a hot seat going into the year, is there anybody that fits that mold outside of Auburn's head football coach? Mike Leach is interesting. Okay. Mike Leach is interesting, and he just got that extension. Just got that extension. Remember, state contracts in Mississippi cannot be longer in length than four years. Okay, That's something that a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't really process with some of this stuff. He only had two years left on his deal before he signed this extension, like very recently, like within the last month. And that was just because, in my opinion, a lot of that is because you don't want to have to go to SEC Media Days and be like, hey, you've only got two years left on your contract. You're really, you know, under, under contract through 2023. That's unheard of in this day and age of not just SEC football, but Power 5 football. Leach is the one where if things really go south. If they're like five and seven bad. I would not rule that out. And I think his buyout would be because they gave him, I think they tacked another year onto that deal. So you could theoretically pay him 10 million bucks to walk away. <laughs> Auburn fans, no, that's chump change. That's nothing. <laughs> Look, we're, we're living in a world in which the majority of Power 5 head coaches have eight-figure buyouts. So that's really not saying a whole lot there. But he's probably the one. And I know that you know Mississippi State fans want to be all in with the air raid. They made that improvement last year. And I thought – that they were really, really close to having kind of a special season, which special for them is a winning record in SEC play, and I do have higher expectations. I bet I'm as high on them as anybody here because I have them at fourth. So I'm not necessarily saying I think he gets fired, but he's the one guy that I would look at, especially after what they did to my guy Joe Moorhead after two years. Had to bring, had to bring up Joe <laughs> Moorhead. You knew that was coming. Yeah. I would not rule out the idea of, of Mike Leach being that surprise. How much longer is Lane Kiffin the coach at Ole Miss if we stay in that state knowing how big of a name that is in the sport? I think he's there at least five years. I really okay. do. I do. And that I'll, I'll take the over on whatever projection there is for him. The over-under is probably, what, like four years for Lane there or something like that total, and this is year three. So if you're asking me what do I think Lane would leave for, remember the way that things played out at USC. Preseason number one team in the country 2012. Shouldn't have been preseason number one. Alabama should have been preseason number one. Having said that, this is still a situation at Ole Miss in which we haven't really seen Lane's guys in there yet. All these guys that, 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 were, that were starring for him last year, with the exception of a few, and he got some transfers in there as well. Those were Matt Luke guys. He wants to see this through, and not just his transfer portal guys. He wants to see this through. What's it going to look like if Luke Altmaier – 
surprisingly wins this starting job and beats out Jackson Dart, the highly coveted transfer from USC. That's Lane. That's going to be Lane's guy, and he's that's going to be his ride or die. And I'm I almost find myself saying like that's actually more intriguing than seeing Jackson Dart because we saw Luke Altmaier struggle in the Sugar Bowl in relief of Matt Corral against a Dave Aranda coach defense. I'll give him a little bit of a pass on that, but. You know, I think we have a lot of questions about Lane moving forward, but we still need to see what it looks like with his recruited players and his developed his developed players. So I, I would t- I would tend to take the over. I'll, I'll say at least five years. You started to reference jobs that he would potentially leave Ole Miss for. Are there any that could be there on the horizon? Never say never. Yeah. Never say never because everybody's going to connect the Alabama dots, right? I don't know that he – he seems to be all in with the SEC, though. When, when, there, when there were the rumors about Miami last year, I cackled at that. I was like, give me a break. Like, he, Lane's going to leave Ole Miss for Miami for what? Look at the success in the last 20 years. We're not living in 2002 anymore. We're not living in 1988. This isn't the U in the same way that we would traditionally think of it. And Yeah, Lane has the connection to South Florida. He spent time there at FAU. I, I understand all that. They're putting more resources into their program. What Mario Cristobal has been able to do in a very short period of time is nothing short of impressive. But Lane leaving for a job like Miami, like, no, he doesn't need to. I think it would make more sense to leave for a job like Alabama. I don't think a job like Georgia would come open, but, you know, even LSU, I, I, I thought, man, it would have made perfect sense for LSU to make a big-time push for him. That's, that didn't really ever get off the ground. So I, I think that Lane is is locked into Ole Miss for a while, and I think he's at a stage in his life where he doesn't need money. He kind of pick and choose and figure out what, what would be best for his legacy. Replacing Nick Saban would be chef's kiss. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that would be incredible. And on a Mississippi contract right now currently that yes. can only max out at four years. Extensions are just weird to think about as someone who doesn't have any structure, you know, just in our line of work or, you know, the I'd say the majority of people listening to the show probably don't walk around saying, I've got this much time left in this contract, you know? It'd be great if we all had extensions. Think about that. <laughs> you had, oh, you, you met expectations. Here is this extension. It, it, coaches these days don't get rewarded for meeting expectations. Like, they don't, they, they get these extensions basically if they if they do what's asked of them. Right. You know, even though you're paid a ton of money, and Jimbo Fisher is the, the prime example of this, Jimbo Fisher gets a 10-year, $75 million guaranteed contract in 2020 happens, and then before the start of the 2021 season, what do you know? Jimbo Fisher somehow gets another raise and another extension. Anybody that's saying that Jimbo Fisher is on any sort of hot seat is – just telling you that they haven't looked at his buyout figures and realizing that he still has $86 million left on that contract after this year. They're not paying him $86 million not to work. I know that oil money is a different beast. That's not happening. Jimbo Fisher is kind of the prime example of that, though. I, I, I think i got to talk to my bosses now about extensions for just simply meeting expectations. Satisfactory work. Can you met you. the deadline. <laughs> yes, you met the deadline. Congratulations. Here's a rich extension. Thank you very much. We'll give you an eight-figure buyout. And then, Connor, this is the second time we've brought this up today, but thinking of contracts and money figures and dollars that are out there, how about like Juan Soto in baseball oh, said yeah. no to $440 million? Can you think about that? Just think about how crazy that would have to be to be presented that. Just yeah. just at the, in the room – and maybe it's his agent and he's like not there or whatever. But just being told. It's on a paper and you're just like looking at that number. $440 million and having the, 
self-awareness is the wrong word because that's given him a little bit too much credit or his people too much credit. But being able to, to be at that place in your life to say, I'm worth more than that. Yeah. That's a flex that <laughs> no human being, I, I don't know, ever can right. be able to say is, yeah, I turned down $440 million. Yeah. Like, what? Michael Jordan didn't turn down $440 million. No, no, nobody that I know has turned down that much money. Maybe Pat Mahomes. Right. He's like the only other one. But other than that, man. Must be nice. Must be nice. Always great to see you. Thanks for taking some time to visit with us today. Appreciate it, guys. That's Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South joining us on Sports Call.